Hey, it's your host, April. This show, The High Guide, talks about altered states of consciousness brought on by cannabis and psychedelics and is intended for audiences 21 and over. If you've been listening to the show for a while and you like what you hear, please leave us a rating, a review, or a heart wherever you listen to podcasts. And lastly, I'm not a medical professional. If you are experiencing any mental or physical health concerns, please seek a licensed medical professional. I mean, how could I give my baby marijuana? That was their question. But their backs, their backs were against the wall. They wanted to try anything to save their baby's life. And so we got the baby going on a uh, cannabis regimen. And within three months, that tumor had shrunk 75%. Welcome to The High Guide. I'm your host, April Pride. The High Guide is going to be signing off for a month while we design a new audio adventure just in time for Halloween for our listeners. But before we do, we couldn't end this first season without sharing our recent conversation with Dr. Janice Knox, mother to another of our High Guides, Dr. Jessica Knox. They, along with dad and sister, are collectively known as the Knox Docs, and they're all endocannabinologists, well-versed in the function and dysfunction of the endocannabinoid system. Dr. Janice has helped many cancer patients into remission via cannabis therapy and lifestyle protocols, which address the individual holistically. Before we dive into our talk with Dr. Janice Knox, our glossary term for this week is antiemetic. We chose this term because you simply can't talk about cannabis and cancer without mentioning its antiemetic properties, aka its capacity to battle nausea and vomiting. As we kick off Breast Cancer Awareness Month today, We hope our talk with Dr. Janice Knox illuminates the importance of the endocannabinoid system and its unique power to maintain harmony, repair, and protect the human body. I'm Dr. Janice Knox. I am one of four Knox docs. I am the doctor mom of the group. We are endocannabinologists, and what that means is that we study the function and dysfunction of the endocannabinoid system in which cannabis happens to be the most versatile herb that works on that system. I'm also a board-certified anesthesiologist. I spent 35 years doing anesthesia, so I am very, uh, uh, always have been into the pharmacology and physiology of all things. Um, With that being said, I love endocannabinology because it explains so much that conventional medicine never or ever explained or made sense. Great. Yes. So um, as I mentioned, we're going to talk about turning to cannabis to help treat the symptoms that one may experience if they're trying to treat their cancer. Um, So I want to start off with a case study. And I asked Dr. Knox if she could come prepared to talk about some of her patients that came to her um, with cancer and were looking, they had tried everything. This is what, this is the story that she's heard a million times. And that when I started, when I got into the industry uh, about five years ago, I started to hear a lot, which is I tried everything and someone said I should try cannabis and it was a last resort. It was the first thing that worked. Thank you, April. Absolutely. I'm glad to do that. And I can't say names, but I've had, you know, many patients come when they have either failed conventional medicine or conventional medicine has failed them. So usually these are patients who have been given a diagnosis and been given a couple of offers, one chemotherapy or radiation therapy and or surgery. And some of these patients are terrified of 
surgery, of course, but also conventional or or um, th uh, radiation therapy or uh, chemotherapy. A patient in particular was an, a nurse, and she had had a diagnosis of stage two cancer, which means it was pretty well confined, and at that time received uh, chemotherapy and radiation therapy and had remission to only have the cancer come back three years later and come back with a force metastatic stage four cancer, which means it was everywhere. It was in her sternum, it was in her spine, it was in her liver, it was in her, in her lungs. And being a nurse and uh, being offered chemo and radio, uh, radiotherapy before, she was not willing to do that again. So she came to us for help. Now, one of the things I do want to say about when we take care of a patient as endocannabinologists, studying the function and dysfunction of the endocannabinoid system, let me say this, every single human being or creature has an endocannabinoid system except the insect. We all have this ancient system and it's made up of certain receptors, two in particular, CB1, CB2 receptors that are found all over the body and every organ and every tissue. What's important is understanding the role this endocannabinoid system has in health. When uh, the system's main job, number one job, is to maintain harmony or balance between all the medical, uh, all the physical, logical systems. Number two, to repair, and then number three, to protect. So, maintain harmony, repair, and protect. And when we have this function of that system, that's when we start to see disease processes. So, cancer is a uh, endocannabinoid system excess which means in those cases, we see an upregulation of these receptors. So this lady is coming to me with stage four cancer, which means she has an endocannabinoid system dysfunction, which is categorized as endocannabinoid system excess. And what we see again in those patients, upregulation in those receptors, sometime upregulation in the endocannabinoids. Those are the cannabinoids that the body makes that work on those receptors. And it's usually an indication of how aggressive her cancer is. So coming to me as a, uh, as a patient, uh, RN, I felt very comfortable that she would be able to follow a regimen. And this is the other thing that needs to be stressed. The FDA has approved only two treatments so far for the side effect or adverse effects of chemo and radiotherapy in cancer patients. They have not approved any cannabis product for treatment, just for the severity of the chemo and radiation therapy, which is pain, insomnia, nausea and vomiting, weight loss. Well, she was ready for something different. She wanted to turn that cancer around. She wanted to live. But here's the thing, it's not just about THC and CBD. So treating her, what we look at first is her disease process, what, is, what are the tissues that are involved, what receptors are we dealing with, and then what is the best cannabinoid to treat that? But it's a bigger picture than that, right? It's a, it's a holistic, total lifestyle that we're looking to address. And doing this, we were able to turn her metastatic cancer around in a matter of six months where after going to get re-scanned, get another MRI scan, they found no disease process. Once again, they saw no tumors, 
And so she had a complete turnaround. She was not on chemotherapy or radiation therapy. What she followed was a specific protocol using cannabinoids and terpenes that fit her particular picture. Thank you um, for that level of detail. I, I have a question. So she decided not to have chemo or any kind of radiation as therapy. She had done that in the past and did not want to do that again. So she was asking to be on a regimen that was about lifestyle and included cannabis or cannabinoids. But that's not usually the type of patient you see, right? You're seeing a patient that is using cannabis in um, at the same time that they are also being treated with uh, radiation or with chemotherapy. Is that right? Yes. Yes and no. Again, most of these patients, once again, they come in because they, they don't have any hope. They're hopeless and they want to live. And many of them are looking for answers or questions and they have questions whether they should uh, take the chemo or radiotherapy or maybe they've done it before and don't want it again. I, as an endocannabinologist, have to tell them that, you know, uh, the combination, and it depends on the cancer that we're treating, but the combination of chemotherapy, some chemotherapy drugs, and cannabinoids are one plus one greater than two. So we have patients who are afraid to use chemo or radiation therapy. We have patients who are afraid not to, and I have to give them that kind of information and help them to make the, the right decision. All of them are forever coming to get cannabis therapy. Some of them have been sort of... Um, uh, dissuaded by their oncologists at times who do not believe in, in cannabis therapy. And so they're coming for a second opinion. But what I usually will do in that case is ask to talk to their oncologist or send their oncologist an article about cancer therapy and, and uh, cannabis therapy. And do you work alongside with their, the doctor that's treating them? for cancer, the other doctor that's treating them for cancer. Yeah, I'm so curious what that relationship is like. Yeah. Oh, yes. You know, there are those who will call away, call right away because they want to learn more. They want to know what cannabis can do because their patients are coming to them, asking them. And we have to ask our colleagues, your patient's going to come and ask you, what are you going to tell them? Then there are those who poo-poo it and want absolutely nothing uh, to do with it. I had another case, this time was a baby who had a glioblastoma. And the parents were sent home and told that there was absolutely nothing that they could do for this for this three-month-old baby who had this growing tumor, and they'd given the baby uh, radiation therapy. So the parents came to me, never had used cannabis ever, very religious family, and were terrified to use cannabis. I mean, how could I give my baby marijuana? That was their question. But their backs, their backs were against the wall. They wanted to try anything to save their baby's life. And so we got the baby going on a uh, cannabis regimen. And within three months, that tumor had shrunk 75%. They went back to the oncologist and told them they could not attribute it to cannabis, of course. So we get those as well who will see results, but refuse to acknowledge that cannabis had any part in it. So that the first two stories that we've heard now are people that have come to you and are not under any other type of treatment. That's to, correct. And cannabis did work for them, even though yes. cannabis is not approved to treat cancer. Yes. Hmm. That, 
Correct. In the first case, we did a documentary on her. So her documentary is going to come out on her case uh, because she was so thrilled with her results. But we do, we know, of course, we've had various, you know, results with patients. Some do really well, some do not do so well. But mostly it's, you know, there's no way we can predict how well a person's going to do. And we don't have that crystal ball. We don't have it. And we do tell them their oncologists do not have it either. So you're not going to hurt yourself with trying cannabis. If you haven't tried cannabis, even if your cancer is not one of the most studied cancers, I think you do yourself a disservice not to consider using cannabis. It just may help you. It just may give you that extra you need to turn that picture around. But I do want to say it's not just about cannabis. When we're treating these patients, we're putting them on an entire protocol, a lifestyle protocol. So it's not just about cannabis. We're dealing with that endocannabinoid system that is influenced by so many factors, genetics, aging, of course, pharmaceutical drugs, nutrition, and then environmental stressors. There's so many things around us that affect that endocannabinoid system. It's like if we only use cannabis and didn't consider the other things, the other uh, effectors, then it's like putting a Band-Aid on an on a owie and getting dirt under it anyway. You're not doing much good. So we do use an entire protocol when we're approaching these cancer patients. And it's, you mentioned three months for the baby, six months for um, the first patient that you mentioned. Is there yes. a timeline that you're typically finding that you're working with cancer patients um, until they start to see either results in that they're going into remission or a tumor has shrunk or, yeah? yeah? Yes. We usually tell them we expect to see some results within four to six weeks. Mm. But of course, that depends on how well that patient um complies with with the protocol, right? If they're taking their product consistently, they understand how to take their product. They're following nutritional guidelines. You know, they're getting rest, they're exercising, they're doing other things to correct that dysfunctional endocannabinoid system. And, and, And if we can get patients to comply, then those patients do well. And we do see those results fairly quickly. And when you say you, they can expect to see results in four to six weeks, that depends on the results that they're, the outcome that they want, whether it's for symptoms of a more traditional treatment or a more um, um, Western treatment, chemo, or radiation for those symptoms su- to subside or a retardation in tumor growth or those two outcomes that they could expect to see results within four to six weeks. What does that look like? Oh, absolutely. One of the things we ask these patients, you know, and you have to be aware, we're doing a full history and physical, just like you would do in a conventional doctor's office. And one of those questions is, what are your goals? What do you want to get out of this therapy? We let them tell us what they want. And then we help design a program that will let them achieve, you know, that outcome. Now, what is really important is the family uh, relationships or friend relationships who do they have supporting them that help them do this amazing change? And usually when I'm talking to a patient and their family is involved, I let the family know that they have a part to play in it as well. Their own particular health. They can benefit by changing their nutrition. They can benefit by including exercise or meditation or sleeping better. So I make it a family thing for everyone to get healthy. 
And remember, when we we're talking to these patients, we're telling them we're fixing your endocannabinoid system so that it can do the job it's supposed to do, which is, again, maintain balance between all the physiological systems, repair and protect. So moving toward health. Is there a protocol for uh, a, a, a certain pathology, how those cells look? And you say, okay, we definitely start with limonene and CBD for this. Can you talk? Yeah. What does that look like? What is the protocol that's starting to take shape after, you know, you've been working with these patients for almost a decade? Well, the thing that we have to also realize is that each patient's uh, endocannabinoid system or profile is different, right? What may work for someone may not work for others. So that's when you start talking about dosing and ratios and what's appropriate and methods of intake. You know, all those things are so important when you're trying to treat cancer because some of these cancers are dose dependent. At lower doses, you may get a proliferation of cancer cells. And that's particularly true with some of the breast cancers and THC. But you get a much better response if you're using, you know, CBD and CBG. What the protocol starts to take shape, we look at the breast cancer, for example, we look at the disease process. We know, and, and it doesn't matter which uh, breast cancer you have. It's across all the, the different types of, of breast cancer. We know from research that CBD and CBG are the lead cannabinoids. And what we'll do is change up that terpene profile to guide them through their day. So that, pro, that protocol is designed around their lifestyle. So maybe a patient needs some THC, but they have never tried THC before. So we don't want to blow them off, uh, off stage if they need to work or take care of kids or do something like more responsible like that. We'll give them their THC at night and give them most of their CBD products during the daytime. Or we'll change up those terpenes to what we call daytime terpenes, which usually include things like limonene, um, uh, alpha-pinene, beta-pinene, beta-caryophyllin, and then the nighttime terpenes that let them relax and calm down, like myrcene and linalool, osamine, those things help them to relax more. So it depends on what we're doing, what we're trying to achieve, what their goals are, how that protocol is developed. And once again, I want to repeat, it's not just the cannabinoids and terpenes that we're looking at. We're looking at their nutrition. We're looking at their supplements, their micronutrients, um, their GI tract. You know, a lot of times it depends on, you know, what is the best way for a patient to take a product, right? Some people don't want to smoke. And smoking is not the best way to take care of something like cancer in the first place. If you need something acutely taken care of, like nausea and vomiting, yes, you can vape it and it'll take, get on top of it. But we try to give them so they get their blood levels to a point where we are attacking that cancer, right? And so we look at other methods of intake, like, you know, a sublingual tincture or an edible or a suppository that's going to give us maybe a slower onset of action, but a longer duration of action which means we can keep those blood levels consistent to fight that cancer. So the protocol is designed around all those different aspects. You know, who is the patient? What are their goals? What is the best, best method for them to take their product? What else do we have to deal with? Do they have a healthy GI tract if they choose an edible? And anymore, I will tell anyone how important that GI tract is because it is the doorway to everything else. So I'm putting these patients on like a good pre and probiotic as well to get that gut healthy enough because that microbiome plays a key part in their getting healthy, right? So the protocol will cover many different things. Let's feed and nourish the endocannabinoid system and the bigger picture, the endocannabinoid alma, so that we can ward off disease processes. 
We don't want to wait until someone gets sick and then we're trying to bring them back to health. We want to support wellness across the board. As we continue to gain understanding on the intricacies of the endocannabinoid system, pioneers in the field, such as Dr. Janice Knox and her family, cannot be thanked enough for their commitment to helping people better understand and fight diseases such as cancer. While not too long ago, we didn't know the endocannabinoid system existed. Now that we do, how to engage it properly and maintain harmony, repair, and protect the human body appear more essential to our future than ever. Thank you for listening to this episode of The High Guide. As I mentioned earlier, we'll be taking the next month off while we prepare an entirely new and quite trippy audio adventure for our listeners. Please stay tuned and stay in touch. Thanks for listening to this episode of The High Guide. Of course, you'll find a new episode of The High Guide every Friday. Subscribe and follow wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're looking to stay in closer contact, give us a follow on Instagram at thehigh.guide and subscribe to our newsletter on our website, www.thehigh.guide. This is April Pride, and thanks for joining me here as I try to guide your high. <laughs>